This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart. And I'm Trader Nick. Welcome back to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. And today we're joined by Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon, Craig. Good afternoon. Of course, it's the first Friday of the month, which can only mean one thing, and it's non-farm payroll day the latest U.S. jobs data, and uh, growth slowed last month in uh, perhaps a sign that the weight of higher interest rates may be starting to slow the world's largest economy, employers adding 209,000 jobs uh, in June. But, uh, Nick, it was a fairly mixed picture. Yeah, absolutely. And and a really important kind of distinction here to make is that we had uh, some good and some bad. Now, the initial reaction, if you were watching the charts when it was happening, I'm sure you saw lots of uh, volatility. We saw the dollar drop uh, pretty big uh, at the time of the reports. The, the NASDAQ made a move higher at the same time. Uh, gold shot up. But very briefly after, we saw a lot of those price gains be reversed and um, possibly just the market kind of digesting the full picture of the report, which was, of course, uh, you know, that you did have a fall in the uh, employment change, right? You had a 209,000 jobs added, as you mentioned, which shows some slowing to the economy. Now, again, for the for the newer traders and investors out there, why would that cause gold and the NASDAQ to spike? Well, it could hint at, you know, maybe there's not so much pressure on the Fed to raise rates after all, if we do see the jobs market kind of helping out in that inflation problem. However, where things were a bit more mixed is that average hourly earnings month over month did tick up to 0.4% rather than the 0.3% that was expected. And on top of that, in terms of unemployment rate, we remained at 3.6%, which is still stubbornly low when talking about kind of the Fed's goals of getting inflation under control. Uh, They kind of need that labor market to crack a little bit further than where it's at. And yes, jobs numbers decreasing is a step in the right direction. It's still got a long ways to go. And again, it starts to ask the question, how serious are these rate hike threats, quote unquote, that the Fed keeps talking about? Uh, and, and, you know, is there some validity to that? Or, because right now, and when we'll, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about this as we get into uh, today's podcast, I want to ask Craig about this. Um, you have the yields market rising, right? The two-year is is still rocketing higher. But at the same time, the indices stay really, really strong. Um, so we have a kind of this, this mixed picture where you do have some strength on, um, on, on both sides. Craig, what do you make of this? Of course, this report, what was your reaction to the numbers? But then on top of that, I guess, help me out with this concept here, the indices and the yield curve, both on the advance. Uh, what's your take on all that? So I think there's a couple of things we need to read into it. Firstly, we generally look at the jobs report against the backdrop of expectations. And I think it's impossible to ignore the fact that on this occasion, we were also looking at the jobs report against the backdrop of an incredibly strong ADP number yesterday. Uh, Often this kind of gets cast aside. We can often ignore it. But yesterday's number was so strong that we actually got probably a bigger reaction in the markets yesterday to the ADP than we'd actually did to today's payrolls. Um, and the fact that there wasn't a repeat, maybe there was that initial sigh of relief. Uh, but in reality, if you put the ADP to one side and there's kind of you, you move past the relief, as you've already alluded to, it's neither good nor bad. It's not terrible because we didn't get what we feared we could see. 
but equally, it's not really progress, is it? I mean, the Fed's not going to say, right, we can stop hiking rates and we can start cutting rates soon when payrolls are still above $200,000 and unemployment is at, uh, as you said earlier, uh, 3.6%. Wage growth is at 4.4% annualised. I mean, these aren't numbers that are good enough to point to uh, sustained uh, inflation at or around that 2% target. So it's not great and it's not terrible. It's kind of a step in the right direction. But as we've seen from the US a lot this year, it's a small step in the right direction. And we need to kind of start to see some bigger leaps forward to add that comfort to the Fed. Otherwise, we are going to see meeting to meeting, maybe them lean more towards raising rates again rather than pausing again because they won't feel like this battle is over. In terms of what the markets responded, we can often see uh, a difference in how equity markets respond to bond markets, especially with a rapport like this, where it's not quite clear cut. If that was a 400,000 jobs figure and unemployment dropped another 0.1%, I think both would align and vice versa. But it was somewhere in the middle. And I always say, uh, if you're an optimist, you trade equity markets. You're a if you're a pessimist, you trade bond markets. And you often see that reflected in in, in a situation like this. So, uh, equity markets often see the the positive uh, in in a report like this. I always feel. I mean, uh, I'd be interested to see if the evidence does back that up. And I always feel like bond markets see the negative. Maybe that's a, a kind of a situation that we are seeing unfold here. I think, from my personal perspective, I look at this and I say, it's it's fine. July, the Fed hikes. They were almost certainly going to hike anyway. We needed to see this jobs report really knock it out the park in terms of showing that weakness, and it didn't. So it hasn't delivered in time. Next week's inflation data becomes more about September than July. And then hopefully over the next couple of months, we can see much more significant signs of progress. But I guess I'm maybe marginally disappointed, so perhaps more in the bond market camp. Maybe that says more about me. Okay, that's that's a great response. And I also want to follow up on one thing that you mentioned there about the small steps forward concept when it comes to uh, what we've been seeing. We, we have certainly seen small steps forward uh, here and there. Uh, but what I guess the bears may allude to or point to, uh, or the hawks, whether you want to call them, you know, if you're talking Federal Reserve policy or you're just talking about equity uh, people, right? One thing to think about is that small steps in the right direction are something to be cautionary about because elevated levels of inflation over a sustained period of time, if that number, if that inflation number doesn't start, like you said, making leaps in the right direction, uh, there are some problems that can start to arise where, again, people with elevated uh, mortgage rates or businesses that can't afford such expensive uh, loans, like those sorts of things can begin uh, to, to sort of stack on top of each other and perhaps enter into recession, right? So that is the concern when we talk about these things and steps in the right direction. People, people, you know, the bulls will often optimistically say, hey, we're seeing steps in the right direction. It's, it's going to get there. It's going to get there. But the question is, uh, and, and I should say, I, I am generally more on the optimistic bullish side. However, uh, there is the concern that you have to address, which is, Again, if we don't see steps in the right direction at a fast enough pace, some real big red flags start to flare up. So um, really, really good take on that, I think, uh, Craig. And, and again, bonds market, again, I think when looking at the equities market, you have to be very cautious when they're elevated like this, that, <clears throat> again, you're not getting overly optimistic. Sure, is there that potential for a light at the end of the tunnel? I think so. But just because there may be that around the corner doesn't mean the right now that you should just trade as if there's a certainty that that's going to come into play. Uh, if we go back a couple months ago, we were talking about uh, rate pauses uh, left, right, and center, right? We were talking about that a lot. We were talking about that um, Fed should pause real quick pretty soon here. 
and we'll be done with that that rate hike cycle. Now we still see lingering concepts of well, uh, maybe there's one, maybe there's two, and then they're going to be data dependent. That's where we were a couple months ago. So. A, a, a sort of a mixed situation right now, and I think um, you know overly bullishness on the uh, on the equity side could be uh, a little bit concerning. So, anyways, um, that that would be my take on it, Craig. Uh, you mentioned next week we do have CPI. Is there anything else major wise that you're you're watching for next week? I know CPI is probably the big one, um, and and you made a point there about like going out until September. Talk a little bit more about that, I guess, for for me, but also for listeners who may have been wondering what you meant by that. Yeah, so, I mean, I think CPI is the big one next week. And the most interesting thing about it is we are now in the period of seeing favorable base effects, particularly on the headline side. So what I think we're going to start to see now from, from next week and onwards is we may even see, if I'm not mistaken, the headline CPI actually dip below the core CPI on an annualized basis. That sounds like a headline win, but it's not particularly because it's the core reading which tells us about the sustainability of inflation. It's the core reading where we're going to see that entrenchment. It's important that we see headline come down as well because ultimately that does help to set expectations for consumers and households and that feeds into these kind of wage negotiations and things like that. So if you see overall headline, you would expect it to have a knock-on effect eventually to core inflation. But as you've already alluded to, central banks are really concerned about entrenched inflation. Now, that means that inflation could fall to 3%, but then get it from 3 to 2 is really hard once it becomes more entrenched. And that means interest just stay higher for longer and longer and longer until you ultimately do take that toll on the economy and on the labor market. And that's the last thing that we want to see. We've said for some time, it's not necessarily a case of how high interest rates get, it's how long they stay there that's going to be the most damaging thing. So that's something that we need to be aware of. And like I say, next week, we could see uh, that we could see uh, inflation fall, on the headline level, which we would all be happy with, uh, but then at the same time, it's not necessarily what we want to see on the core level. I'm just looking at the calendar now, and the expectation is for the headline CPI to fall to 3.1% from 4%, but for core CPI to fall to 5% from 5.3%. So you're going to see almost two full percentage points higher in the core reading. Uh, and that's the one that the Fed's going to be watching more so than anything. I think it would take something really shocking to the downside to change the Fed's mind as far as July is concerned. I think it just comes a little later in the day. I don't think the rest of the economic data supports it. But if we can see two or three months of this going into that September meeting, then it does become live again. I just think, as we said earlier, we need to see big strides uh, in the right direction uh, before the Fed is going to feel confident. Because at the minute, these little steps are going to be positive, uh, but very much small wins. Before I let you go, guys, to enjoy your weekend, I must ask you about the uh, Twitter versus uh, threads thing. First question, of course, is have you got your handles yet? I did get my handle, which uh, wasn't actually hard because it's, I think, part of the reason it had such good success, at least from my experience, going over from YouTube to this new Threads platform is like it was, it took me like 30 seconds to create my account because it just took my Instagram credentials and just basically plugged them right into Threads and boom, I was up and running and I had my first. Uh, thread out. And I, I don't know if you call it a thread or a tweet, you know, I don't know what the equivalent is, but uh, I put out my first quote unquote thread and uh, right away people were already on there. So the, the growth was very visible even on my own little circle level. I saw all my followers on there right away, but uh, the numbers speak for themselves. Um, Craig or Johnny, I don't know either one of you guys, do you have the latest numbers? How many signups did we have in the first like 24 hours? I know it was crazy. 
I think they were talking about 10 million earlier on. I haven't seen anything uh, beyond that. But it's possible that the number is so high because people are doing exactly what you have done so far. You want to make sure that you get the best handle name. And beyond that, the figures might start to slow down a bit. Craig, what about you? So I think the handle thing is important. And I think the fact that people have Instagram makes that that transition a little bit easier. I actually set up a new account uh, yesterday uh, on Instagram and then uh, and then went to threads. And it was actually a little bit more difficult. I don't know if they were having glitches or, or something, but it took actually a lot longer than I was than I was expecting. So I finally kind of uploaded a photo today and uh, and then now I just need to try and work out where these communities are again and uh, maybe send one of those little tweets out, say check out my threads and all of that. Um, so I've, I've done my first thread to my zero followers so far. So please do follow uh, at Markets Craig. And um, in terms of the numbers, uh, it's uh, they've actually gone up a lot since then, Johnny. So yes, on the first day, like you say, 10 million. Uh, today, uh, I saw a story earlier on, they've got up to 30 million. So to put into perspective, Twitter is believed to have around 350 million. So you are now just under 10% of Twitter's numbers within the first 24 to 48 hours. It took Twitter four years to hit 10 million and it's taken uh, Meta less than two days. And uh, obviously that number is still growing quite a lot. There is a huge user base that Meta has at its fingertips to try and latch onto here. And then we're going to see exactly what it is. And also, of course, now we've got a lawsuit. So we, there may be uh, uh, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg fighting out in court as well as the Octagon if, uh, if these reports of uh, a fight are anything to go by. Uh, Elon Musk claiming that, uh, that, that Meta have effectively copied what they've done, not necessarily just on the surface, because the surface level, if I'm not mistaken, by American law is okay. It's um, things like intellectual property. Um, Musk claiming that they've effectively uh, got all of these former engineers that he let go so willingly and felt was such a good idea uh, when he took over and just released them into the world. He's now claiming that they all then went and worked for uh, Meta, which is quite funny, and set up this, uh, this, this, this platform to challenge them using... Uh, trade secret so it, this is probably going to turn into a big long court battle lots of pr for both of them hopefully ending in a cage match um to rival the kind of paul ksi or or, uh, or something like that uh, maybe later on this year something to look forward to maybe in 2024 i'm sure that would get quite the uh, quite the following uh, something for all of us to look forward to talking about for many many months to come and just to let you know, Craig, while we we're on the air, I am your second follower officially. So everybody else who's watching the podcast, sorry, I already beat you to it. But make sure to follow him on uh, <laughs> on threads. And you can also find me at TraderNickFX if you'd like to. I don't think you can even DM on that platform. So I was going to say you could send us a message, but I don't think you even can. So uh, unfortunately, you could follow, but that's about all you can do. Okay, guys, thanks very much for today's podcast and have a great weekend. We'll speak to you next week. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.